It is great to welcome Jazz. Jazz, thank you so much for coming. Um, Jazz is uh, the evangelist and part of the leadership team at Croydon Jubilee Church, which is um, part of Regions Beyond, the family of churches that we're part of. So she can do any other introductions. It's great to have her with us. Cool. Um, have a complete freedom, Jazz. I will. I will. Thank you very much. I've got some notes. I don't know if I'll stick to them, but um, we'll give it a go. Good morning. I suspect that when I got up this morning, you lot were all still fast asleep in your bed. Yes. Anyway, I am now awake, which is good. Nigel's introduced me as Jazz from Croydon. I've not always lived in Croydon. As you can look at me and you can probably work out that I'm Indian. I was born in India, did most of my growing up in Wimbledon and have lived in Croydon for the last 20 or so years. That's a short history. Been to Swindon before. I love it in Swindon. It's always very trendy in Swindon. I like your graphics. It's very cool in this church. Our building is nothing like this, just to be clear. Um, and I'm liking this love sign. It's, it's cool, isn't it? It's good. It's good. Um, I'm not 100% certain where I'm going to go this morning. I have got notes, and let's hope that I vaguely stick to them. But I sense, you know, it's just that worship. Guys, thank you for leading us so well. Thank you. And thank you for doing the words and getting it all up there, because none of that stuff I can do. I can't play an instrument, can't do techie stuff. I'm always in awe of people that do all of that. I can put out chairs. Thank you, too, for the team that sorted all that out as well. But um, the, God's really doing something, isn't he? He's really doing stuff, especially in that area of healing, Holy Spirit activity, supernatural activity. So let's just see what happens this morning. Um, I, am, I am married to a man called Tim, who also works full-time for us uh, at Croydon Jubilee. And we have two sons. I think there's a little picture of them that may appear. May not appear. That's okay. I didn't give them a warning, so... Okay, let me assure you, this picture that's gonna, that may appear or may not appear is um, of two cute-looking boys, like they're proper cute. And in this picture, there they are, aged, they're six and four. And actually, this picture was taken on the day that we first met the boys. So both my sons are adopted. They are brothers. Everybody always asks us that. And uh, they were adopted from Leeds, of all places. Uh, so when they arrived to live with us some 11 or so years ago, they, uh, they had strong northern accents, which was quite interesting when, they, you know, you moved from Leeds to Croydon. And, uh, and I don't know if you know much about adoption or not, but when you first adopt children, you get like two weeks off where they don't have to go to school and we don't have to go to work or anything. We just get to hang out with them. And so they arrived on the Saturday just before Christmas. It was like a little early Christmas present to Tim and I. And Tim and I were a little bit excited that these boys are here. And, uh, and after about three days, we were a little bit bored. There are only so many reruns of Cars that you can watch before you're absolutely going to lally. And very quickly, the novelty of bath time and getting them, you know, their bedtime stories were like, is this what parenting is like? And so after about three days, and the boys had had enough as well. We, um, I said, let's go to the park. So, new mum, I have n- obviously didn't realise that you don't take little children to the park in winter when everybody else is at school. It's not going to be that interesting. But anyway, I bundled them all up and I took them towards the park. And as they 
got there, at the corner of their eyes, they could see the swings ahead of them. And they're like, oh, mummy, look, there's swings, there's swings. Mummy, we want to go on swings. That was my Leeds accent. <laughs> and um, they're like, I'm like, yeah, no problem. So um, thank goodness there's something in the park they can do. Got to the swings, and there were two swings there. But the first swing was fine. The second swing, unfortunately, the big kids had been in and wrapped it over the top of the, the bar. And the boys, we both want to go on swings. And I'm like, don't worry, because I'm super mum. I'm their brand new mum, I'm super mum. I can get that, you know. And I kind of judged it, and I was like, well, if I push really hard enough, if I run and push, I'll get it over the top. And if I just get it back really quickly, all will be fine. So, put... <laughs> Yeah, you can see where this is going. So push the boys out of the way, took my run, pushed really hard, wasn't fast enough in my return. And, um, and it hit me on the shoulder. I ended up flat on the floor. But I'm super mum. And although I'm in absolute agony, I didn't scream, I didn't cry. In fact, I froze and just was biting my tongue in like can't say anything, can't say anything, can't say anything, don't, say anything, don't frighten the children. And then I could hear this little voice going, Mummy, Mummy, oh, no, Mummy's dead. <laughs> and then the older child, in his wisdom, said, No, she's not dead, she's just gone to heaven. That was my introduction to parenting. Um, just so I can wrap that story up for you, I did manage to get the swing over eventually, and I am fine now. And the boys had their swing. And they speak in proper Croydon now, in it. <laughs> it's how they speak. So, and I think I've got a picture of them, uh, sort of the family as we look like now, just because I love my family. There you go. That's when we escaped a room about a year ago, I think it is. And I am now officially the shortest person in my house. So, I'm... I think this morning uh, I'm going to talk to you from uh, Hosea, about Hosea, the prophet Hosea. It's not um, someone that we often talk about, not someone that's preached, uh, but I did was at East last week and I gave them this same preach and I felt that I probably needed to stick to the same thing. And um, the story of Hosea is it's an incredible love story. And it's set in the Old Testament. And it differs very, it doesn't differ very much from a modern day love story. At the end of the day, it's a story of a broken vow, a broken home, a broken heart, a broken life. And I think some of the things that were brought through the words of knowledge this morning reflect that. And I think God wants to do something in that whole area of brokenness uh, for us as a congregation this morning. God has chosen the sad story of this broken-hearted prophet to reveal his love and to demonstrate his grace. And this story really is um, the story of God's love. That's what it is. I'm just going to give you the answer right now. That's what it's about. Hosea uh, was a prophet that lived at the same sort of time as uh, Isaiah and uh, Micah. And he was, it was the time of the kings, lived in the northern kingdom. And essentially, his call, I'm just giving you the overview because I'm not going to read it all to you. His call was to talk to Israel and say, excuse me, Israel, you're getting it wrong. You're worshipping other gods. You're not doing what God wants you to do. You need to repent. You need to get right. He's saying it back then. He could say it right now to us. 
That message that he was bringing is no different to the message that many of us need to hear. But it's okay because grace is involved, so I'm not judging anybody. Hosea means salvation. What a cool name. And uh, his marriage was a prophetic symbol of what the nation of Israel does, despite the fact that they knew the love of God, experienced his favor, mercy and grace, they still continued to go their own way. So I'm going to read to you from chapter 1, starting at verse 2. I'm only going to read chapter 1 to you. I'm not going to read it all. Um, If you want to follow it, feel free. Otherwise, sit and listen. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore bore him a son. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. In that day I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call her Lo Rahamah, which means not loved. For I will no longer show love to Israel, that I should at all forgive them. Yet I will show love to Judah, and I will save them, not by bow, sword, or battle, or by horses and horsemen, but I, the Lord their God, will save them. After she had weaned Lo Rahamah, Gomer had another son, and the Lord said, Call him Lo-Ami, which means not my people. For you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yet the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted in the places where it was said to them, You are not my people. They will be called children of the living God. The people of Judah and the people of Israel will come together. They will appoint one leader and will come up out of the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. Um, there are lots of, there's lots of symbolic, sim, symbolism sorry, in chapter 1. There's more in chapter 2 and chapter 3, but if I read all those to you, we'd be here all morning and I'd never get to the end. In chapter 2, we discover more things about Hosea and his marriage. First of all, we discover that those three children that they've had aren't necessarily Hosea's. That's pretty harsh, isn't it? Then we discover that Gomer, despite the fact that she's married, leaves him and goes back to a life of prostitution and living for herself. She's given up the security of what we presume would be a safe home uh, and the love of a good man in order to go and fulfill her own desires. And I don't suspect that many of us in this room are prostitutes, but how many of us give up what we know is the truth of God to go off and do our own thing. I think we do that on a daily basis. Not that I'm, I'm no way am I judging. I'm speaking to myself uh, in the same moment. And Hosea goes back and he gets her, and it costs him financially. But I suspect that it cost him much, much more. If um, if you are growing up in a in a godly family, which I suspect that Hosea probably did, and he certainly was a godly man. I don't know that for sure, but he was a prophet, so he would have walked with God. 
I don't imagine growing up that he thought that he was going to marry a prostitute at any stage. I suspect that he probably thought he'd marry a nice-looking girl and, she, uh, and they would serve the Lord together and then maybe they would prophesy together. I don't know what he imagined life would be like, but I don't suspect that he imagined I've got to go and marry a prostitute. And yet he was utterly obedient when God said to him, go marry this woman. And I was immediately, as I'm reading that and realizing that he was obedient, it immediately sent me to that moment in the Garden of Gethsemane with Jesus, who was praying and talking to his father, knowing what he was about to face and saying, you know, not my will, but your will. If you could take this from me, please take it. If there was any other way. But Jesus, being utterly obedient, did what the Father asked him to do, to go to the cross. And immediately I'm like, yeah, there's something about obedience in this. Something about being confident in hearing from God. Because when you've heard from God, there is something that stirs you and you are obedient to it. But going back to the story of Hosea, not only did he marry her, uh, marry marry Gomer, he then had to go back and get her. First of all, when he went to get Gomer in the first instance, everybody would have known that he was a godly man, and yet he had to leave all the trappings of his world in order to go to perhaps an unsavory place. I don't know where he got Goma from. Did he have to go and visit a brothel? Was there a certain point in the town where all the prostitutes hung out? But he had to leave his nice, clean place in order to go to somewhere that perhaps wasn't considered as good. And so at best, he would have had to um, feel uncomfortable. And at worst, he probably felt defiled walking into that environment, and yet being obedient, he invited Goma to live with him. But imagine what everybody else is saying about him. What are his family saying about him? Why are you doing such a thing? And then he had to live with the shame of the fact that she's had three kids and they might not be his, and also that she left him again. There was no social media back then. Obviously, the Facebook didn't exist, Twitter didn't exist, but I suspect the whole town knew what was going on. I'm sure everybody would have known. And he would have had to live with all of that. But he did it. He did it in his utter obedience. He went back and bought her. And she went back and lived with him. I don't know how the story pans out. We're not told how the marriage finishes. I can just believe that they lived together till they died. Hosea is the first prophet that begins to talk about the fact that God loves the whole world and not just the Jews. At the end of chapter 2, it says this, I will show my love to the one I called, not my loved one. I will say to those called, not my people, you are my people, and they will say, you are my God. This particular verse is fulfilled in, of course, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, because God so loved the whole world that he gave his one and only son. And this is what I believe God is saying to us today. Hosea stepped out of the lines. He walked into unknown territory and he showed trust in God. He demonstrated what it was to include someone in your life that was not like your own. 
Um, and I've got a really simple challenge for you guys this morning. Uh, my, my mission field, if you like, is Croydon. Yours is Swindon. And if I'm really honest, and if I had done the research, I could have found out a bit more about Swindon and the makeup of Swindon and what it looks like and what kind of people live in Swindon. You all kind of look like nice people to me, so that's good. But Croydon, I grew up in Wimbledon. If you grew up in Wimbledon, you do not move to Croydon. It's like considered a little bit rough in comparison. And I'm, I'm saying that in all honesty. So what... In my early 20s, when everybody, all my friends, we were all being called to different parts of the world. So in my early 20s, I felt God speak to me and say, you know, you're going to work full time. And I just was like, yeah, I'm going to go to the world. I'm going to go to the nations. I'm going to go to different countries. And um, where, where are you sending me? Where are you sending me? And there was a group of us that used to hang out together. And uh, we all had that kind of calling. And one of those uh, people was called to Australia. And I'm like, wow, God might send me like... Australia or somewhere really far and then um, another one of my friends got called to the Philippines I'm like yeah that's kind of cool I can go to the Philippines and then another one of my friends um, got called to India I'm like yeah well that'd be easy go to India I'd love that and then another one of my friends got called to Hawaii I got Croydon Croydon for crying out loud. You don't move from Wimbledon to go to Croydon unless God says. And when God says, then actually that's something completely different. And God made it very clear over a course of a year that that is where I was supposed to be. And it took me a while of living in Croydon. And to be fair, it took me a long time to get used to it. Because um, I knew that I was an evangelist, and I knew that I was called to equip people and to teach people about how to reach others, to help people be on mission. And it was only after oh, maybe 18 months or so of living in Croydon that I realized that in Croydon, we have this building. I'm hoping the next picture will just go up. Thank you. This is the home office. And um, it's in the center of Croydon. And, oh yeah, I forgot to say, there's a verb, actually, before I talk about the Home Office. There's a verb, a new verb. Um, to croydonize a city. And you can say, to croydonize a city is to ruin it with large grey buildings. <laughs> That's what's spoken over Croydon. It's where I live. This is one of the large grey buildings, Luna House, the Home Office. But because we have the Home Office in Croydon... It means that in a very real way, that all the nations, all 195 of them, have to at some point come through Croydon. Which means that in a very real way, that we can lead people to Jesus who will go back to their nations and lead others to Jesus. And could go to the very ends of the earth and Jesus can come again. It's exciting, isn't it? But listen, God's spoken over each one of you that you are called today to Swindon. Each one of you has got a mission field in this place. Each one of you has got an opportunity to talk about who Jesus is and model to others what it is to love Jesus, to be known by him, to be cared by him. Um, I will always talk about the fact that, that for me, evangelism means all sorts of things for me. 
Um, and I'm sure it means all sorts of things for you. And some of you might think, oh, it's just what the extrovert people do. You know, yeah, and obviously I'm an extrovert. You know, I'll talk to anybody. Uh, and our church, we have, a, we have a coffee shop downstairs in our, in our, in our building. Uh, and upstairs we have Sainsbury's. And every now and again we run out of milk. And, uh, and they used to send me upstairs to go and get milk because they needed it urgently. Nobody bothers sending me up to get milk because they know that the kind of personality I am, I will talk to every single person going up the stairs, going into the building, talking to everybody in Sainsbury's, encountering every person that works there, catching it. Take, it takes me 45 minutes. It should be a two-minute job. Nobody sends me up for milk. But that's my personality. That is how I'm wired. But we're all called to be on mission. And I would genuinely say, and I would say it completely, the only way we can do this is through genuine, real friendships. Real. Not, not to get notches on your evangelism post, but genuine, authentic, real friendships. And they're costly. They take time. They take effort and energy. They take... Uh, your resources. But are you willing to do that? Because Swindon needs you to be friends with it. I, uh, when, I first, when I first got married, my husband Tim, he supports Arsenal. I was a Wimbledon supporter. And during the times that we... And I still love Wimbledon, I'm not going to lie to you. That when, when, um, during those times when um, we were just going out, uh, we'd have a few arguments about Arsenal and Wimbledon. They're not actually comparable because, you know, one is in the Premier League and one doesn't really get mentioned. But, but we did have a few arguments about it and we got quite passionate about football. Uh, so in the end, that first Christmas we were together, I gave Tim, as a gift, as one of the gifts, my allegiance to Arsenal. You might think that was cheapskate of me. It wasn't. It was really costly. <laughs> Because it meant that we wouldn't argue about football anymore. So I would, um, uh, I would look up, you know, I'd keep an eye on Arsenal. But then we moved, when, I'm, when we were living in Croydon, and Croydon, uh, most of them support Palace. And, oh, nobody reacted there. Um, <laughs> most of them support Palace. And one of our guys in our team, Chris, who I get on really well with, he's one of, one of our leadership team, he is the chaplain to Crystal Palace Football Club. So he's in there all the week. He, he goes in and chats to all the guys. He's, he, just, he's, he just is passionate about Crystal Palace. If you spend about six minutes talking to Chris, you will know that that's actually his biggest passion. God is in there. I'm not going to... God is in there, but he is passionate about Palace. And so over the years, I have learned, because he is a friend of mine, and I care about him. So when, so when football happens over the weekend or there are matches played, I have half an eye on what uh, Arsenal are doing, but I also have a little bit of awareness about what Palace are doing, because on Sunday morning, I know that I'm going to have a conversation with him. I'm not that interested in Palace, but I know that I'm going to have a conversation with him. He's my friend. It's important. It's important to him. Can you see where I'm going with this? I'm doing the bit I can do. I'm never really going to go and hang out and watch Palace with him. But I do want to bless him. I want to show him that I want to honour him, that I listen to him, that I understand that football is something that he is passionate about, especially Palace. It's just what you do in friendships, isn't it? One of my closest friends, um, Cecilia, she's Norwegian. And she... Uh, I've known her for 11 years. I met her as a mum at the school gate. 
And uh, she's an atheist. That's how she described herself. And she respects me. I respect her. We, we see each other all the time. And after a few years of hanging out together, and there's a few mums that went out, they'd say to me, oh, Jazz, Jazz, we really like you because you don't preach the gospel at us. You don't get all Christian on us. And I was giggling because I preach the gospel all of the time at them. All of the time. I'm just not so overt about it. That, but actually, their lives are changing all of the time when I hang out with them. But so, Jazz, but when we're with you, we never swear. What's that about? I'm like, because that's something that the presence of God is affecting you. You don't realize it. They don't realize it. But actually, you carry the presence of God wherever you go. So actually, when you walk into a situation without having to almost say anything, but by being that genuine, authentic friendship, you, you affect change. You affect something. You bring something of the kingdom of God. And uh, Cecilia said to me, we were, we were laughing. My youngest son said to her one time, Cecilia, do you, do you believe in Jesus? And she just looked at him, got really flustered and felt really awkward. And she said, oh, oh, oh I respect him. But she moved from, I am an atheist... And over the years, and we're 11 years down in our friendship, she has moved to, I respect him. That's quite a big deal for somebody that professes atheism. And, and I will trust that God and our, you know, God's put us together. We were out for lunch yesterday. We were just laughing and we were talking and we were saying just how, how many shared values we have. We seem to parent in a similar way. In fact, we are so similar that without even thinking about it, we both ordered the same meal yesterday. Um, she just needs to come to know Jesus. And I believe that, that I'm her friend for that, for that one purpose. It's a challenge, isn't it, to get alongside people. But here's a bigger challenge. The bigger challenge goes like this. We had a clothes swap quite recently at our church. It's a big event that we did. We do fundraiser once a year, huge, huge thing. And, uh, and I think that I know a lot of people where we live. And this fundraiser was really, really successful. We had loads of clothes, loads of people coming in. And I just stood back and watched. And as I watched what was going on, I realized that I didn't know many of the people here. And as I looked again, I realized that most of the people came from a, a location near us called New Addington. There's Wimbledon. There's Croydon, then there's New Addington. That's, that's how it's perceived. And, and I thought, oh, that's really interesting, Jazz. None of these people are your actual friends. And it really got me. The Holy Spirit just really got me in my heart. I don't feel guilty about it. But, oh, that's really interesting. None of these people are your friends. All your friends are, all your, are people just like yourself. That's okay. That's absolutely okay. But why, why do you not know their names? You know all the other people's names. Why do you not know their names? Why do you not know about their kids? Why do you not know about what they do or where they, what they get up to? And it was, a, it was a personal conviction. I'm not laying guilt on anybody else. That was God challenging me on an area where I thought I was really inclusive. And he just showed me I'm not that inclusive. And the bigger deal is I can easily be their friend. I'm happy to serve them. I'm happy to lift them up. The bigger deal is I can be their friend. Will they want to be my friend? Will they want to come to my house? Would they want to come and hang out with me? 
If I, my, my son had an 18th birthday party a couple of weeks ago, and he did his guest list, and he was excited about it. And uh, I thought, if I had a party, would these people actually come? That was my personal conviction. I am not laying guilt on anyone at all. But all of you guys have got a situation where you can be a friend, a genuine, authentic friend. That is not to set yourself up to be some perfect, holy Christian. You are perfect. You are holy. But not to set yourself up in the world that would say, in the way the world would tell you that. Even when you get it wrong, and then you go and put it right, is as powerful as getting it right all the time. We used to wind our neighbor up all the time. We've got a shared drive. And uh, we're forever having to apologize to them because people in the church keep turning up and they don't realize that they can't park across the shared drive. And, um, and he gets really upset with us. And so we're forever having to go and take bottles of wine around and say, we're really, really sorry, we're really sorry. But actually, he's got to the point of loving us. We don't need to take the bottles of wine around. He realizes that our heart is not to wind him up. But it took a long time to do that. He used to get really upset with us. And also, we tell the church they're not allowed to park across the drive. Um, what I'm trying to say in all of this is that we've all got something that we are called to. We all need to play our part. And I'm just going to show you a clip, but after the clip, I've got a few things to say, and then I'm going to pray for us that we would be people that would be bold, that can do the thing that God has called us to do. Have that in your mind as you watch this clip. I've watched that so many times and I never get bored of watching that clip. But that clip is just such a brilliant example of what we're called to be like. Because that clip started with that one double bass player. He's all dressed up, he brought out his instrument. He knew his part. He knew his part so well, he didn't even need to have his music in front of him. He could be there and play his instrument. And then the others came along and joined him, just three or four more strings, weren't they, that joined him. But in doing that, just as he started, already people were noticing. And when two or three more people gathered around him, more people began to notice. You do your part. You do the bit that you are called to do. You're part of this church. You do the bit God wants you to do, the bit that you know that you can do. Enjoy it. Others come around you and join you. And then even still, more and more people came. And it captured the whole of that square. I'd have loved to have been there. It captured that whole square. And people stopped. They were stopped in their tracks. And they had to watch what was going on. It was that noticeable. You couldn't have missed it. And the other thing I loved about that, not only was it all the instruments and all the voices, but they, nobody looked the same. They all just looked like normal people doing their normal thing, as it were. It was a proper good flash mob. And, um, and then there was that beautiful moment where um, well, the conductor came, didn't he? And he came and he just was, again, he didn't have his score. He knew what he was called to do. And he could lead them. That's us following our leaders, isn't it? Follow them well. They are... You know, they, we've, been we've entrusted them to listen to God. You have to listen to God as well, but they really have to listen to God. And you've said, by being part of this church, we're behind them, we're following them, we're going to do what they ask, we're going to be a joy to our leaders. 
quite a big deal. Because sometimes there's complaining and grumbling and moaning and we don't necessarily agree. We need to deal with that really, really quickly because we want the church to be this beautiful, beautiful, amazing bride of Christ that the whole of Swindon can see what God is doing amongst you guys because you are functioning in the way that you are meant to function. You're doing the bit that you're called to do. And then as we watched that clip even more, we saw that people got caught up with it. And the little children started imitating the conductor. And they were, there was even an older man, he was, he was copying as well, wasn't he? Because biblically, we're told we're to imitate those that love Christ Jesus. When you are being friends, authentic friends of people, you are showing them how to live. You are helping them be disciples of Jesus, whether they know it or not. And that's, you know, that clip is just, just reflects that so beautifully for us. And then the little children are watching, the whole place is captured. It's, it is just stunning. And that, that guy that goes past and he goes, wow. Wouldn't it be amazing that the whole of Swindon just looks at the church in Swindon and goes, wow. Surely God is amongst you. Surely I need to be part of this. That cool. I um, I'm going to pray for us now, and uh, before I pray, I'm going to ask. I'm just I'm going to ask you to close your eyes, and I'm going to just yeah, close your eyes, close your eyes. And uh, there are a number of things that I feel God wants to do this morning. First of all, I just want you to actually, Jesus, we give you our attention. We want you to speak to us. We want you to minister amongst us right now. Holy Spirit, I pray that you just come and lay on people's hearts uh, in quite incredible ways. Father, I pray for supernatural moments just now. First of all, I want you to just consider people that you are friends with that do not yet know Jesus. People that you're effectively discipling. Maybe in your family. Maybe your neighbours. Maybe colleagues. Maybe the woman in the corner shop. Maybe the lady at Asda. I don't know. Just, just consider those people that you are friends with. I'm going to encourage you to regularly mention them before God. Regularly stand in the gap for those people. Regularly go to God and ask God for them. That's the first thing I felt. I just wanted to really really drive home this this morning. But I also sense that this is, there's a boldness that um, God, God wants to drop on you. And so in order to receive that, if you would like that, I'm going to, and if you are able, I'm going to invite you to stand. You may not feel that God's on this for you, and that's fine. But I do believe that there is an anointing, a boldness, and I'm almost going to call it a cheekiness that comes from God to be able to speak to people about what he has done for you. 
you want to receive that, even now you can stand. And if you can't stand, God knows that you're standing in your heart. He's bigger than you physically. But just hold out your hands. Begin to receive. Father, I pray for this boldness. I pray for this unction. I pray for this anointing to fall on individuals all over the place here. I speak to everything that is fear that rises up, that stops us from stepping out. Fear you're to go now in the name of Jesus. Worry about what other people think. You are to go now in the name of Jesus. Complacency, you are to leave now in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to come and to go very, very deep, to birth in each individual here that is standing before you, wanting to receive. It's just this fresh anointing, deep, deep anointing. Father, I pray that this would be a church that is ridiculously fruitful. Every person that's standing, I pray that they would bear much fruit in the days and the weeks and the months and the years ahead. Father, I ask you very specifically that this time next year, this church would look entirely different as hordes of new friends come in. Father, I pray that you would grow this church in remarkable ways. And I pray that a town called Swindon would be transformed because you are doing a mighty work here. And I ask you, Father, that your name would be associated with this place. Father, I pray for works of miracles. Father, I pray for outrageous supernatural activity. Father, I pray for gifts of words of knowledge and gifts of healing and gifts of uh, impartation to be released right across this room. And I pray that this, would, this church would never look the same again as you do something remarkable amongst them. Amen. Guys, take a seat. Thank you. If while I've been speaking, you've been saying to yourself, do you know what? I'm not confident that I know that Jesus loves me. And I'm not confident that actually Jesus has rescued me. Then um, I would very much love to talk to you about that. And I'm just going to be hanging around. I don't know very many people here, so nobody's going to be really talking to me. Come and talk to me. And uh, I'd love to pray with you, tell you a little bit more about, about, more about Jesus and what he has done for me. Thank you.